Welcome everyone to the Inside Envy podcast. Joined here in studio today with Neil Shirley. Hello, guys and, and girls. Very yeah, and our very talented sound engineer, Mr. DJ AJ Turner. <laughs> and I'm Jake Pantone. Today on the show, we have a special guest. Um, our guest is one of the original mountain bike journalists who started his career back in 1986 at Mountain Bike Action when the world of mountain biking was basically the Wild West. Uh, our guest today is Zap Espinosa. And for those of you who have been in the cycling industry or following mountain biking, he needs no introduction for the rest of you. Um, Zap has influenced the mountain bike industry over the decades as a journalist, and we look forward to our conversation with him. Yeah, he's actually uh, part of the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame now. He was inducted handful of years ago um i mean zap is for me personally zap has influenced me as a teenager growing up reading you know his columns and some of his insights in mountain bike action magazine um so i think it's it's, it's special to have him on the show here um and over the next 40 minutes i think all of a, all the listeners are going to really get a good you know inside perspective of his passion for the sport um and just how he's continued to, you know, live out what he loves doing for the last you know, few decades. So enjoy. <laughs> Just Hornbeck stories. Just talk about <laughs> Hornbeck the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> the first time we do corrections, I remember that he did corrections, and he's like, he had no clue whatsoever. I mean, I, I feel for the guy. I under, completely understood, but like, you know, he'd never been a journal, nothing in his life, right? Sure. And, you know, corrections is kind of like the intense thing where we like, we've written the whole thing, it's all laid out, and then we're actually you know, correcting. You know, and he, I remember him just like sitting, I could just, I, I felt so bad for him because he just felt like shy, you know, because it's just like, getting his paper graded and redlined yeah and, and he, had, he had nothing i mean he just didn't understand the process really it just he was i could just tell how it was like a di different atmosphere for him you know and then <laughs> but then literally he said you know then like like we all got get better at it you know yeah. but he got better but i remember that first time and he was just like he could just i could, it was just funny how i could just sense how uncomfortable he was because you know he wanted to fit in and he always always had i think issues trying to fit in as a journo and that was like the one time where he was just like <laughs> Anyways, now what about the first time you had corrections? Did I, you have a shock factor there? Were you like, yeah, What's for happening sure. for sure. <laughs> it's the same with Neil, actually. Especially <laughs> when you see John Carr when he like murders a page in red ink, and yeah. you're like, "Oh, it looked good to me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, first of all, you're, if it's your story, you're like, you're bummed because a, you thought you know you thought you nailed you know, it, gotten all your dangling participles just in right in place, and then. We've all read it. So then, again, John Carr, you know, the old Silver Fox who comes in, and you're just like, like Neil said, God, my page was like, you know, it was like a missing comma. You know? <laughs> and he's got just scribbles everywhere. You're just like, and then Basically, you're, like, you're going to have to rewrite the whole article once, <laughs> once John's done with it. I could probably use that level of uh, critique in no, my writing. No, you don't. Because it's another level. It's like another, it's, it's well, a level that's beyond. I think everyone... It's like an HC level for John's now. favorite favorite day was corrections where everyone else it was the worst day. So this isn't necessarily like industry standard. This is like <laughs> John. Yeah, yeah, John. Maybe. It's good. 
he, yeah. I mean, it's, that's what he's there for. Saved us a lot of embarrassment. Well, I, having read other media outlet stuff, maybe they needed John too. <laughs> <laughs> us included at times. So. Yes, yes. Well, cool. Um, yeah, we're rolling. So thanks, uh, Zap, for joining us here at Envy. Pleasure. Um, bit of a little trip out here. You've been on the road a lot this year, doing a lot of events. And, uh, but we're not here to talk about your travels necessarily. We want to talk about cycling and all things, all things bike. You know, it's the sport we've, we've been in for a long time and, uh, we've seen a lot of changes, but, um, kind of to kick things off, we were, we always like to talk to people and sort of understand how you got into cycling because it sort of sets the stage for, you know, all of our perception of the sport in general. You yeah. Know, for me, it was Boy Scouts. <clears throat> <laughs> doing a doing merit badge work for a cycling merit badge and like my dad was into cycling but for me like boy scouts really kind of made me realize that i really love riding a bike and that's kind of what took off for me and i you know we like to kind of hear from others what what was the thing that got you where did you grow up at uh at the time i was living in seattle oh, up okay. in the northwest yeah. so um yeah for me i was just a, this is quintessential socal 70s kid, 60s kid, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, so it was like between, summers between, uh, lived up in the Hollywood Hills and um, between being that young and going to go see Anani Sunday at an early, early age. Uh, so I lay some of the credit to Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper because that's like, that was, I, so I saw that movie and I was just done. And then, of course, Bruce Brown entered my life with Anani Sunday that, Neil's a big fan of, yep. and yep. um, and then of course, Anani Sunday starts off. It's it's really one of the greatest, you know, bicycle introductions to any movie, and it's a motorcycle movie. But it starts off Bruce, typical Bruce, a visionary filmmaker that he was. He's doing this whole motorcycle movie with Mert Lawwell and Malcolm Smith, and yet, uh, so he had this whole motorcycle screenplay done, figured out, and then one day he's driving home, and he literally saw a bunch of kids riding BMX bikes on a dirt lot over in Palos Verdes, and uh, that became the beginning of the movie of Anani Sunday, you know, this, this, the, the greatest motorcycle movie ever made. And yet it starts off with like these 20 screaming kids on, on BMX bikes with, you know, ape hangers, swing, swing stingrays. Um, and just, and it's just, yeah, I would advise anyone to go and just see the opening five minutes of Anani Sunday to get a sense of, I mean, it's, it's amazing filmmaking because there's kids screaming and the music's building and then, this huge crescendo, them all coming over jump, doing cross-ups, and it's just, it, I mean, you, you lose yourself. And um, so just uh, up in the Hollywood Hills, and we were, uh, we were uh, me and all my you know, friends from junior high school, not even before that, elementary school, into junior high, um, BMX bikes. We had the, we had different clubs. We had the Schwinn, the Schwinn Sliders was our first team we made. We all had baby blue, powder blue um sweatshirts and then you could go on Holly Boulevard to this iron on t-shirt stop. And then we had nice. a, the, the motorcycle iron on and we put Schwinn sliders on there. So that was our first club. And then, uh, just, you know, we were all inspired by motorcycles and Roger DeCosta and everything, but just then it was just all BMX bikes. And, um, uh, we, you know, we were doing just, uh, you know, gooseneck, gooseneck pads. You guys don't know what a gooseneck is, but uh, oh yeah, I had one of those. <laughs> yeah. I I, uh, I used the pad more than yeah. once. Yeah. In my youth. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good to hear. So you know, tested it out. It wasn't very effective. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Needed more padding. Yeah, larger pad. <laughs> but you know, now it's fun just thinking about it now because even back then, you know, Schwinn Stingrays, late '60s, early '70s. You know, we would go down to Hollywood Schwinn Shop on Western Avenue, and 
you know, I mean, we were doing just, you know, the same kind of accessorizing and evolve evolution of our, of, you know, uh, race performance specific technology that we're doing now, you know, um, you know, whether we, you know, we like my thing on my bike, I got, I went and got like a, a girl's peewee banana seat because the big banana seats were so long and I wanted to like the smaller one. I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's all I need. I don't need like the big saddle. And I'm thinking about short saddles now, you know, and then, then with the short, you know, then they had like the little sissy bar, They're not the tall one, but just the one that went right down to the rear dropout, you know, and had shocks on it and stuff. And, um, we were just talking about back in the day. I mean, the BMX, the races were, they were just like downhill races. They, you know, there was this even before like real organized BMX tracks. They mm-hmm. were just, just tracks up in the hills. Randall Ranch was just like a start gate on this, you know, and it was just downhill. So, um, and uh, then from there, just to you know, and then to motorcycles. But um, and then, but bicycles have always been there. So, so when did when did you first? Uh, when did when did the concept or the idea of a mountain bike become apparent to you? Uh, when I went to Santa Cruz, University of Santa Cruz, I went up there, and uh, that's where I saw my first mountain bike. It was um, at that uh, that Schwinn shop. Um, it was a mountain goat. I remember Jeff Lindsay's mountain goat, and it just had the bitch and camouflage paint job and the yeah, bull moose yeah. bar. And um, I was riding road bikes then. By then, actually, I was on the the, the road bike in the road bike club at Santa Cruz, and um, I was having a bit of a fit with some knee surgeries and stuff. But then I, um, so it was kind of on and off. But uh, I saw that mountain goat. The thing was just, I was like, that is rad. <laughs> and um, didn't really know anything more about it other than that. What year? What year was that? Eighty. Or 83-ish, 84-ish, probably, before I graduated. Because I remember I graduated, came back down to L.A., and then by then, two of my old friends, motorcycle friends, they had both bought Ross Mount Hoods, and I was coming down from my parents' house one day, and they were both riding up on the mountain. And again, another classic bike, you know, um, the chrome frame, and um, the again, the bull moose, handlebar stem combo. And, and so they, were, they had discovered mountain bikes, and then... Um, I never got into the mountain bike thing proper, uh, still going to school, trying to find my way in life, blah, 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 uh, law school, kicked out of law school. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then in the, so in the summer of 86, I was at a local motorcycle race at, uh, at in Paris. And, um, it was, as I've thought about my life and my memoirs of something like that, it all like literally my life was up until that point, what, 26 years old, um, my life changed forever with the tap on a shoulder when I'm sitting in a lawn chair after in between motos of racing the motorcycles. And uh, Jody Weisel, who was the editor of Motocross Action Magazine, who I'd known from racing motorcycles, um, uh, just kind of literally tapped me on the shoulders in, in, in his little Texas tank twang and whiny voice kind of, he's like, hey, hey, we're starting a mountain bike magazine, you know, you want to come and work for a motocross action and, you know, do this mountain bike thing? And I was like, you know, the word mountain bike didn't mean anything to me because I literally grew up, motocross action was, I mean, was my Bible. You know? Sure. Um, every single magazine, every issue, every month, my, my walls, my ceiling of my, my house, my parents' house was, I tore out every color page and just plastered. I mean, it was just, I was crazy, right? It was like yeah, my yeah. Sistine Chapel was motocross action magazine photos. Um so uh, after that that day of, after the motorcycle races, we went to, to Jody's house, and um, um, like I said, he as many times as he they had just started, they had done the first issue of Mountain Bike Action was a one off by Dean Bradley, um, that because Dean Bradley um, who's, who ended up having a long stay in the bike industry with Schwinn and a whole bunch of different companies, but 
he was a motocross guy too. And then he, he caught the bicycle bug, the mountain bike bug early on, talked Roland, the owner of uh, the magazines to do this one off. And then um, by the fall of 86 is when they decided to go monthly with mountain bike action. And so I came on board. Um, Jody was the editor. And then this guy, Ed Arnett was the assistant editor. And then I was like, just like the Grom. And, um, and again, I was there for the sole purpose of facilitating my dream of being motocross action guy. Um, and then I had to ride these silly things <laughs> <laughs> with pedals. And, um, as I say, you weren't even riding a mountain bike at this point. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? Like my, the, my first take home bike was a Roland Roland city bike, which was, you know, but it was a mountain bike, but it was, you know, it had riser bars on it and it was, it was terrible. It was a bike that funnily that, that, uh, a few months later, probably six months later, there was a race at Dominguez Hills that someone put on. It was like a mountain bike scrambles. And uh, Tinker Juarez got a hold of us. And um, he needed, because he was just starting to transition from BMX a little bit. And then okay. Charlie Litsky was kind of a, like an go-between. This is even you know, pre-Tomac, really, with Litsky. And somehow we got a hold, or Tinker somehow got a hold of us, but he needed a bike. So we, I loaned him my Roland City bike for Tinker's first mountain bike race at Dominguez Hills. And uh, somewhere in the annals of uh, high torque, where you have this, we have black and white photos of that we shot of Tinker, you know, as the BMX guy, loading it, and of course, no notion of what he would go on to become. But that was his first mountain bike race. We just raced against Tinker. Oh no, at kidding! The rift yeah. in Iceland. Yeah, he was there too. Yeah, was no kidding. So he's, yeah. I chased this bright green jersey for the last forty-five <laughs> miles. I was like, I'm going to beat Tinker in one race, and I didn't. Yeah, he's doing full full gravel schedule now, and just str- I mean, not strong as ever, but incredibly strong and just yeah. such a gifted athlete. Yeah. Still no chamois. Um. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's pretty much. No, yeah, that's little, pulled out of little, every kitty uh, owns. In, there's a little uh, the inside on Tinker. Yeah. No chamois. I mean, race race across America. Yep. No chamois. You put that in your folks in your bread box <laughs> and think about that one. Huh? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about this? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's <laughs> this is the, good, the more people that know this, the better. Can, I mention, <laughs> can you mention Shammy? <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, uh, so then and then so in '87 and then Ed Arnett just to wrap this silliness up. Ed Arnett goes to become the editor of Dirt Bike Magazine, which is one of our sister pubs, and they had, and the idea floating around was sort of like, oh, Zap will take over mountain bike action. And I remember distinctly going to Jody and saying, hey, do I have to do this mountain bike thing? And he's like, you know, no, you don't have to, you know. And, but it was, I could sense it was, the, I had to, but I didn't really have to. And because I just, again, motocross. And, uh, and then there the, I think it was a Swatch Nationals or Swatch World Championships, or maybe, uh, at Mammoth Mountain in the summer of 87. They flew out this guy named Todd Smith to be, they, they thought was going to become the editor for mountain bike action. And so we both went up to Mammoth that year. And I'd already been to a few races, small-time normal races, and I'd seen, been around, you know, I'd met, I met Ned and a little bit and some of those guys. But at Mammoth Mountain, 87, the summer of 87, Todd Smith and I drove up there. And uh, on the way back, it was just, it was just, it happened. And he's like, and he's like, that's, that was the worst experience of my life. And I was like, that was the greatest experience of my life. And between being at Mammoth outdoors Meeting Ned Overend, meeting Lisa Muick, his teammate at Specialized, the two of them I fell in love with. Um, they were just like the greatest people in the world to me. And um, and then on beyond Ned and Lisa, it was just every other person, whether it was Tom Hillard or you know Cindy Whitehead. I mean, all those early early names, you know. And just 
I don't know what it was, but I, all I knew is we're driving back down 395 and Todd's still cursing mountain bikes because he was this <laughs> kind of like portly kid from Massachusetts, okay. you know, and not really the type. And and uh, and I'm just like, God. I got back the next day at work. I'll take that job. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, so and here I am, and I've always just, it just I've, it's just so fortunate. You know, I just never never miss a day when I don't, you know, think about the, how fortunate I was that I got that tap on the shoulder um, after I got kicked out of law school, I had nothing going in my life at all. And it became this 35, 36, whatever year career that I've had. There's just nothing but, you know, unequal joy and, and yeah, everything. So I think it's funny that, you know, you referenced, you know, cutting out all the pages of motocross action magazine, you know, when you were young and hanging those up. Cause that's exactly what I did for mountain bike action magazine <laughs> when I was yeah, totally. 13 years old and reading every not not only your articles, but yeah. every article and checking them off to make sure I knew that I didn't miss any of them. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that that was like really, you know, Jake mentioned how, you know, he got started in mountain biking, you know, through the the boys, the Boy Scouts. And, you know, mine was an experience a weekend up in Mammoth riding the chairlifts. And I came back and went to the bike shop and started, you know, bought mountain bike action. So that was like a real huge part of what kind of got me into the sport and then helped kind of shape me and define me early on. So when was the last time you rode a motorcycle? Uh, It was a long time ago. I mean, not a long, long time ago, but um, I still stayed in it. Uh, My daughter, um, she got into it for a while and she was racing. And then I became like, you know, crazy mini bike dad. And then (laughs) we would, we would go to the races together and um and she as with every day of my life carries me so far and even then so then it was like you know we we started going to the nationals together and she became like a little cub reporter for motocross action you know and it was awesome you know and um for every dad who thinks you know who gets say you know feels he's stuck with a daughter instead of a son it doesn't <laughs> matter it was you know because she was just just she got into it so it was like yeah. kind of like quasi son in terms of being macho and you know doing actually doing riding motorcycles and then uh once she you know went off she she discovered life in a senior in high school and not having and being able to sleep in late on the weekends. Um, and then I got hurt bad once. And after I, the last time I got hurt, um, uh, big, big hip separation. And, you know, just with the bicycle thing, it's just like, as we all know, bicycle riding's hard. And that's what makes it great. And with the motorcycles, I could, I would take off for weeks, months on time. I'd come back and, you know, I'd be rusty, but I could still there was no way I would ever finish last in motorcycle. I mean, I had enough talent and whatever to always at least race competitively with somebody on the track. Bicycles, as you guys know, you take a week off and you're stinking <laughs> off the back. <laughs> and um, so honestly, just I just started to get more into the bicycle thing and just realizing, man, if I, the more time I take off from the bicycles to do this motorcycle thing, whether I get hurt or not, it's just like, it just hurt me on the bicycle. And the bicycle thing was my full-time gig, you know? Yeah. And so I just finally, you know, I, I guess I just finally made the decision. I'm like, you know, uh, I'm just not going to do this. It seems hard to even say it. Like, fuck, I'm never going to do it again. But it's even, it was just like that way, you know? I just, yeah. I just decided to stop doing the motorcycle thing because then the bicycle thing was just, it's just, it just, I don't know, just, it won me over, you know, and then, and the road bikes specifically, you know, I'm done with mountain bikes. Can't stand those things. <laughs> and, um, um, it's just, 
it's just great to be fit on a bicycle. And it's also, so and again, when I would go on these launches, you know, it's like already I'm giving, you know, 20, 30 years away to these stinking kids, you know. And so it's just like, that's bad enough. So when I, you know, be off the back and be way off the back, you know, it's just like, you know, between pride and just trying to keep on schedule for the companies, right? It's just like, <laughs> they'd be like, man, where is that fucking zap? Jesus, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, just all of a sudden, no more motorcycles and just bicycles all the time. Rightfully so. good yeah i mean uh, i guess so you've been since you've seen basically the beginning of mountain biking from yeah. like the early designs rigid bikes all the way up through the early years of suspension bikes you've seen road bikes go to suspension at like perry roubaix and like that whole yeah that whole era you've seen now like where we're at with gravel yeah. like kind of you know, it was only popped up over the last eight to 10 years. What are, I mean, what are kind of some of the standout things that, that you've been, that you've been a part of? And I, I guess what you think are maybe some of the biggest advancements that, that's happened in the industry. Yeah. I mean, clearly across the board, I mean, in just in terms of the impact of where we are today in 2019 and where the industry was in like, say 1989, um, I have to give credit biggest amount of credit to, I mean, in terms of the industry's rise to suspension, all the motor- motorcycle guys, you know, whether it's Paul Turner, Mert Lawwell, Doug Bradbury, Rich Williams and the Boulder, who's always forgotten, but Rich Williams made a bitch in suspension bike back in the early nineties, had a shock inside the top tube, um, elevated seat stays, I'm sorry, elevated chain stays. And, and that thing was like, a, was a marvel at the time, you know, even Clark Kent had that, you know, they had their bike. Moots has got the soft tail, you know I mean? So there's always, you know, a million and one, var- I mean, whew, two million and one variations when you include the euros um um and just so in terms of the just like the 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 basic principle of suspension what that has brought to the sport in terms of safety compliance and performance that you know i mean i remember so many freaking knuckleheads back in the day you know just whining just bike geeks right the full bike geeks from from old ah you know blah 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 it's you know it's two pounds heavier ah it bomb ups and down you know it's like you don't get it you know i mean there was no doubt there was a of the two million and one designs, a million and a half of them were bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Early on, you know, until uh, Horace Leitner started thinking about chain tension and all that, you know, just different things about th- that. Um, but, you know, like the, 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 again, famously, that first Trek suspension bike was just one of the worst things ever made, you know? I mean, and, you know, I mean, I, I wrote a column about that because those guys just, they, they, they made a special T-shirt, Zap Sucks, for one of their sales meetings after I just, because I killed that bike, you know, because it was horrible, and it could kill people probably, you know, probably did. <laughs> and, you know, they were, like, so appalled, like, how can you say that about a Trek, you know? And then I remember one of those guys, Dave, one of their top sales guys, went on, I was at Trek one time, and he came to me and goes, you know what? We hated you that for that summer. Made those T-shirts, you know, and then he's like, and then I rode that thing. You were right. That thing was horrible, you know, because it was just it was so primitive, you know? Right. Nonetheless, though, it's like everything, every other, every other part of society, like, you know, I'm sure early versions of penicillin didn't do the job you know but guess what they do now and uh so suspension and now even with gravel you know i mean it's like the lao fork is just like you know such a you know it's it's odd looking but um just the, what suspension's done in terms of again just compliance and say and it's, i mean safety can never have enough safety but also performance um um it's, I mean, so much stuff came out of the mountain bike stuff that, you know, the, the road world has been slow to get to. Disc brakes, another one. You know, again, disc brakes are just 
they're just bitching. I have, you know, my one of my writing mates, Tommy, you know, he just goes on and on. Well, Chris Froome doesn't use them. I'm like, who cares? You know, it's just like, and then you still hear this <laughs> stupid debate. Well, I don't weigh, you know, I don't weigh 200 pounds. I don't ride in the rain. Or It's like, who cares? It's, disc brakes are safer to me. They just work better, period. That's why, guess what? Every modern performance vehicle or non, they, they have disc brakes because drum brakes or, you know, we just learned it works better. Yeah. Um, and the whole notion about making any aspect of cycling safer um, makes it more enjoyable. Um, the cardinal rule uh, for any cyclist, for me, especially road cycling, there's only one rule. There's a, you know, everyone has a million and one rules. Well, you know, your socks are too high, blah, 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 blah. There's only one rule that really counts. Get home safely. And to me, things like disc brakes, um, now bigger volume tires. I was just talking to Scott about, you know, it's, it's, you know you, especially you guys have, have, have advanced the notions about tire pressure and you know how to, and this whole new new world of tire pressures and just tires bigger volume tires it's just i i could care less about i mean it's great to have the, the coring and this that and the other but to me it's just that the what bigger tires have brought to me in terms of having a safer ride it's just it blows my mind every time i go on my, on a group ride i you know i purposely try to ride big tires now because people are still like what are you riding that thing for i'm just like Psh. You know, and then they will be going along Montrose Ride, and you know, there's be like a little bot dot, like little you know, people are like pointing to it. It's like some you know five inch, you know, five foot gap or something. It's like you guys are bunches, you know, <laughs> get off them stinking twenty fives, and you you just roll over it, you know. It's yeah, it's funny gravel. Gr those of us that ride a lot of gravel bikes, like I like I forget to point stuff out in the road. Yeah, I mean, even yeah. yesterday we were on a road ride, and there's a decent sized pothole, and I saw it, but it was like. Uh, everybody else will see it or you just hit it and yeah. the roadie hit it <laughs> he did he hit it and hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going along and you're just like <laughs> yeah, just like that and then if you even if you you know if you don't you can, again with bigger tires you, you know to me it's always just like a little quick little bunny hop which you can do on road tires too but just like again you, you know with you know with a bigger tire you can land in, in a crevice you could land sideways it's just like it's that much more controllability is there it's fabulous. I think it's interesting that sort of human natures were humans in general, sort of adverse to change. And I remember having debates with my dad when I was getting into cycling, you know, mountain biking, like we had debates about clipless pedals or not, you know, toe clips were worked for me. I rode from Canada to, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've ridden thousands of miles. You don't need clip, you know, you don't need special shoes and clip in, you know, and just like, so like clipless pedals came about and that was really cool. And like the same debates over suspension. And then, you know, I mean, these are just some highlights in my mind. It's like clipless pedals, big deal. Suspension obviously is still continues to be a topic of discussion and, um, you know, technology's evolving still in that category. Uh, then we're talking about high volume tires and, you know, I was super adverse to 29 inch wheels. Like I was yeah. racing mountain bikes, you know, when 29 inch for, was first introduced and it was like, I'm not ever going to ride one of those clown bikes. And then <laughs> I remember the day that I decided I was, I was just being stupid because I was sitting in a pace line, like five back in, in a race. And I was the only guy on a 26 inch wheel. And I swear to you, I was pedaling like twice the cadence that everybody else was in the group. And yeah. I was like, I'm working really hard to keep up with these guys. And they don't, I, you know, anyway, it was just like, so then 29 inch wheels came along and it was like, okay, these are, these are cool. And now, I've me personally, I feel like I've sort of opened my mind a little more to some of these changes that happen. Like, you know, like the whole idea of plus tires was like, I was like, oh, no. yeah, <laughs> we've got big tires in 29. But I think it's interesting how all these 
evolution, these evolutions come along or these changes, disc brakes to road bikes, you know, people naturally are going to be, you know, opposed or, you know, sort of dig their heels in. But ultimately, like you said, like the goal is to get home safe. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely having more fun when I'm yeah safe and not yeah. crashing and yeah. having more confidence. And I think all these things, execution being good or bad aside, like eventually lead to a better ride experience for people. And that helps the sport. And then for me looking to the future, I feel like all these sort of incremental gains or advancements in technology are ultimately going to make the sport more accessible and more enjoyable for more people. Yeah. E-bikes too. I mean, yeah. you have to include the e-bike yeah. stuff in there as well, I think. Yeah. I think it's maybe a little too, maybe it's a bit more benign, but in terms of your original question about like, you know, what are things that have, you know, that, I've, that are remarkable in all the stuff I've seen. And I think in, in a general sense, if maybe for lack of a better word, material engineering to me, you guys are a part of that. Um, and I'm sitting, we're, t- we're talking about stuff. I'm just thinking about, you know, uh, a few years ago, Neil, if you might remember the story we did, that, that, that it was just, um, it basically was just like saying like the, the C word, was the dirtiest word in the bike industry. And and that was a kind of my, my lead-in for the story. And the C word was compliance for road bikes. Because, you know, we had been raised on all the stuff. It's just, you know, it's t- right, the pro trickle-down. So everything was just like oversized diameter seat tubes, um, seat posts. Everything was rigid, hard, hard. You know, everything was based on, a, you know, how much of a hard man could you be? And then I remember, like, I think like when the Domani came out, it was like like one of the first cracks. You know, I'm thinking like, you know, this is when things are changing. And, and so my joke was that the sense that, like, you know, all these product managers were, you know, they spent their years of 20s and 30s being hard asses and trying to outmodule each other. All of a sudden, you know, they're putting a rise stem on. Or it's like, oh, you got, you know, you got 10 mils of spaces underneath that thing. You know, what are, what are you doing? You're crazy? And, um, and, but I think back to, you know, Chuck Texera at Specialized, we know when he developed the Answer Hyperlight handlebar, that thing on a mount, like in 1991, the Answer Hyperlite handlebar was like the greatest, no, even before then, it was like the greatest, first the taper light and then the Hyperlite. That was like suspension before suspension, just in terms of that, just, and, the, you know, talking to Scott, I mean, I love Scott. I mean, that dude is so smart. And there's guys like Smart, Texera, uh, guys like Scott and Texera who are so smart, I mean, around the world, right, who are material guys that understand that stuff. And we're right now with carbon fiber, but we've gone through aluminum, you know, steel, titanium, Butted tubes, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that stuff is, so it's not any one single product, but just what material engineering and smart guys have been able to do with, with materials from those early days, it's been awesome. You know, I mean, whether it's in this, you know, the, the, the fiberglass base of a saddle to give more flex, I don't know what, you know, wherever yeah. and however it's, you know, even in a mountain bike grip, right? They're thinking about rub the durometer of the rubber. Um, that's that's it's like all these this hidden factor, but still there, and it's nothing you can't buy, right? But it's there, and it's just it's it's had a huge impact on the sport in so many ways. You know, I think uh, making helmets lighter. I mean, it's all about you know material and just and just always people smart guys always pushing envelopes in terms of you know evolving whatever material it is they're working on. Um, that's been a big thing too. Yeah, it's it's really. It's cool to think about, really, because it sort of happens so incrementally that you, you know, 10 years, 15 years go by, and then, you know, it just it sort of feels like little changes that maybe aren't, you know, they maybe get a bad rap or don't feel necessary to people, and they're like, I don't need this, that. But then you look back to where you were 15 years ago and, like, what the riding experience was like, and you realize, like, this is a completely different sport. Right. <laughs> 
I mean, it's, we're still pedaling and we're still having a blast, but um, I think back to like early trips to Moab riding mountain bikes and like one lap of porcupine rim was like, I'm done. Like yeah. I got blisters, my feet hurt. I'm, you know, I survived, you know, you know, just like generally, like it was, it was a real adventure. Yeah. Now you can go burn three. I mean, two laps is totally reasonable to go do two laps down yeah. porcupine in a day. And you could do three if you're really motivated and you're probably not going to have blisters on your hands by the end of it. Yeah. Kind of thing because technology's and across the whole platform has just gotten so good. Yeah. You're not doing a complete lap, are you? No, I mean, we're talking shuttles. Yeah, yeah. Out, out, out of <laughs> Shuttle, the greatest. Thing. It turns out his shuttles are different than mine. Mine is riding to the top and getting a driving in the car down. We did but. do a reverse shuttle last October. It was yeah. it was embarrassing, but it made sense. Oh, it did make sense. <laughs> that was yeah, that's good. Um, I don't know, Neil. Did you have a? We got on here. No, I think uh, I think this is probably a good place to wrap it up yeah i mean i do think i think one of the questions i like to ask everybody though is like looking forward you know like you know 10 years from now what what's going to be the same and what do you think is going to change with our sport it's a big question but i'm just curious where what you think is sort of the future of Uh, i don't care about the uci i don't care about uh what is it, etra whatever all that that, etrto yeah yeah whatever (laughs) all that all that acronym crap no acronyms. The, the joy and happiness that comes from riding bikes is eternal. And I hope that no matter what the bikes look like or whether if they're all e-bikes, doesn't matter to me. E-bikes are a good thing. Um, it's the same thing that we all feel when we ride bikes, I think. Um, and, you know, we, as much as we've seen the popularity of cycling rise and fall based on certain celebrities, you know, racers, Lance, whatever, or certain, you know, back early in the nineties when just the mountain bike, when the mountain bike came out itself, everyone went out and bought a mountain bike just because you had to have a mountain bike. And I remember all my friends from high school, they all went and bought mountain bikes and they all hung in the stinking on the hooks in a garage because they never really rode them. But so there's this huge financial, you know, boom for cycling because everyone bought like probably in the seventies when everyone went out, went and bought road bikes, you know? So, uh, I keep my fingers crossed that the bike industry stays healthy and figures out who it is and what it is and how best to talk to non-cyclists. But at the end of the day, um, it's just it's that same. I just want to be sure that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that there's still people riding bikes and that they're still finding that same level. Of, I always say it's the, it's the win in the face. You know, and people, you know, they look at me and they're like, you know, how old are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm old. And uh, <laughs> they're like, ah, you know, you kind of carry on like an 18-year-old sometimes, you know. I'm like, well, that's a good thing, you know. I mean, I embarrass the heck out of my daughter because she's, you know, a mature 27-year-old, and I'm still like this 13-year-old, you know, pushing around in a shopping cart. Jump in, Dakota, jump in, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I honestly, you know, uh, I attribute so much of that just to the wind in the face. That's what I always say because there's like nothing. I've done it on motorcycles. You can, and I, you know, Dakota always knows she's me. I'm, we'll be driving down Highway 5, and I stick my head out the window for like as long as I can while I'm driving just because I just and that's wind in the face because you, you get in an airplane you get nothing and it just that's like when your your life sucks on an airplane no matter where you're getting and how quickly you're getting there there's nothing there right and yeah. uh, so it's being outdoors and the wind in the face on a bicycle is just the best kind of you know you, I guess you can get on a horse or you get it running you know but all I know is when you're pedaling a bicycle and, and the wind in the face it keeps you young it keeps you happy and so you know 10 20 30 years from now I just all I hope is there's more people finding that still that same sense of joy and, and happiness uh, by riding bicycles. It's perfect. I think that's a great place to stop. So 
Thanks for coming by, Zap. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Zap. Thank you, Neil.